Hey, you found us. This is a podcast of Carbon Valley Lutheran Church in Firestone, Colorado, just north of Denver. We here at CVL firmly believe that community is built, not found, that it's local, not virtual. So we encourage everyone to find a local church and help them build their community and be a service to them. With that said, we pray that these podcasts supplement and not replace your spiritual journey. If you'd like to learn more about us at CVL, you can check us out on Facebook or on the web at carbonchurch.com, or even better, stop by in person. We worship at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. May the Lord bless your day. We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, on this wonderful Easter Sunday morning. I, I don't think we could have gotten better weather today than what we got, so incredibly thankful that all of you are here. I'm thankful that God gave us beautiful weather uh, to be able to celebrate our Lord's resurrection. I don't think I'm going out on a limb here to say that that this last year maybe in many aspects was a little bit difficult. Maybe you'd agree with that, right? Um, And and I, I think maybe I'd go a step further and say this last year through some of the difficulties, through some of the necessity of change has also been kind of a clarifying year for you as well. And I think, let me say this, I I think we're going to need a little bit of time to see exactly what this past year brought. The things that you want to keep, the things that will will hang around within our collective society, and the stuff that we're going to cast aside. We say we don't want anything to do with that. I think time is going to give us a little bit of, of clarity on what this past year brought. But there's some benefit in it, isn't there? Now, none of us are sitting here on a Sunday morning saying, yeah, I wish we uh, had an entire year of a pandemic. And I'm not trivializing everything that came along with it, uh, the virus or the loss of life or or those of you that maybe contracted COVID or any of those things. So we're not trivializing those things. But here's the reality we know that you know is that Times of difficulty, times of trouble, times of struggle can oftentimes reveal what's essential in your life. I think that's true, right? At times of struggle and times of suffering at, can, can kind of clarify what is most important for you in your life, for your priorities. It boils it down to the essence of things. This morning, that's what we want to look at. What is the essence of Easter? There was a man named Abraham Wald. Some of you maybe have heard his story, um, but maybe not. Uh, He was born in 1902 in Austria. So uh, Abraham was a man who, who lived through times that forced him to boil life down to the essence. He lived through moments in our world history that were very clarifying so Abraham Wald was a Jew, was born 1902 in Austria. And so by the time he was a young man, let's say about 20 years old, he had already lived through one world war. He'd already seen the atrocities of a single world war. By the time he was approaching middle-aged, guess what was coming? Yeah, second world war. And so Abraham was a man who, who had a, kind of an uncanny ability to boil life down to its essentials. And some of that was out of necessity. Having been born in Austria and having lived through World War I, uh, Abraham, Abraham had no desire 
to, to hang around in a country uh, during a second world war. Now, he had something going for him. Abraham actually happened to be an incredibly intelligent mathematician. So he, he had skills that could be used in objectively in the world. And so because he was so good at mathematics, he actually was able to escape Nazi Germany uh, right at the very beginning of World War II and was able to come to America. See, he had seen the atrocities of one world war, and he decided he was not going to hang around and live through a second one, and so he fled. He came to our country, but he didn't just hide. See, because he had seen those atrocities, and he had lived through that suffering, and he was committed to do something about it. And so he took the gifts that God had given him. In this instance, uh, it happened to be in the, in the area of mathematics. And he decided he was going to use those gifts in order to help fight the war, World War II at that time. America was happy to use his talents. So he got quickly uh, hooked up with what they called the SRG, the Strategic Research Group. And it was a group that uh, basically all that they did was analyze statistics and percentage chances of things for the war. Now, my guess is like, I'm probably stereotyping a little bit, but like the men and women in the SRG, all I can like picture is, is men and women with like pocket protectors and stuff. So like if you were, if you were uh, well, when I was a young man, my entire dream uh, was to become a, a Navy fighter pilot and you can guess, so now you're, you're dating me on my age. The reason I wanted to become a Navy fighter pilot was Top Gun, clearly, right? So everybody wants to be Tom Cruise and Top Gun. I doubt there are many that want to like grow up to be Abraham Wald in the, in the SRG working through statistics. <laughs> but I think we could make a pretty strong argument. In fact, I'd say um, it's maybe an open and shut case that the work of Abraham Wald saved more lives and saved more pilots' lives uh, than any of those jet fighters that, that were used in World War II. And so Abraham enlisted his his gifts to try to help win the war. He used his gift of mathematics to try to win the war. And he had those two things going for him. Remember, he had lived through suffering, and so life was remarkably clear for him on what mattered and what didn't. And second of all, maybe it's because he worked in the area of mathematics that he was also able to kind of see through the, the, um, the noise and cut right to the heart of things. Some pilots from the Air Force and the Navy came to Abraham and they had been collecting statistics and they're like, we don't know what to do with all these statistics. Uh, these are just numbers to us. We have no idea, but we know some smart guys that can work on it. So they brought all of their statistics on where their fighter planes were hit the most during combat. And so they brought those statistics back to Abraham Wald and the SRG group. You can actually see a picture of what they found in your bulletin. Wherever there was a red hit, this is where there was an increased risk of enemy fire coming on their airplanes. And so these, these Navy pilots and these Air Force pilots came to Abraham and said, can you help us out here? We, we want to be able to come back home to our family. And so they gave him the statistics and they showed all the spots where enemy fire was hitting their planes. And the kind of simplistic answer for these pilots was, let's just beef up these planes in the places where they've been hit. But there's a little bit of a problem there, isn't there? Because the more armor you put on a plane, 
the heavier it becomes, the less maneuverable it is, the more fuel it uses, and the more likely it is to not come back. And so Abraham Wald and his entire group knew that there was a, there was a sweet spot in how much armor to put on a plane and how little armor to put on a plane where they could increase the chances that, that men and women would return home safely to their families. So they came and they said, well, just put more armor on all these spots that are getting, getting gunfire, getting, getting shot at. And Abraham asked a remarkably clarifying question. He asked these pilots, where's all the rest of the planes? Well, you know the answer, right? They didn't come home. He said, where's all the missing planes? And they said, well, they didn't come back. Those are the planes and those are the lives that were lost that never returned home to their families and to their loved ones. So then Abraham took it a step further and said, okay, here's our suggestion. Add armor, but not to any of the places where you see bullet holes. Add armor to the engines and the fuselage. He said, add armor to the empty places, not the places where bullets have gone through. See, Abraham was able to look through the noise of what they were looking in those statistics and he boiled it down to what was most important because his goal was to return men and women back to their families and his goal was to help, help win the war. He was able to kind of look through the noise and see the parts of the plane that were most important. Let me put it this way. It's not that Abraham didn't think the entire plane was important. And if you're flying, you know that the entire plane is important. But what Abraham was able to do, because of some of the things he had lived through, was boil it down and say, the entire plane is important, but some parts are more important. And we protect the most important parts because that saves lives and that brings people home. And in turn, hopefully that wins a war. I think there's good lesson in that for us, maybe because of the year that we've gone through, but I'd argue Easter is a clarifying moment, just like that. Once a year, we get to celebrate, we get to hear the words of our Savior, and we get to see his resurrection. So if Easter is anything, I pray that it becomes a clarifying moment for us spiritually and for your lives, where we are able to boil down the essence of why Jesus came to this earth and the results of it. That's exactly what we're going to look at in our text today. You're welcome to follow along with me if you'd like. Uh, we're going to read from Mark uh, chapter 16, and I'm just going to read for you the very first three verses. Uh, but we're going to kind of go through three different things today that I want to look at. When we talk about what's the essence of Easter, uh, we want to talk about three different things. Number one, what is the weight that we carry as humans this side of heaven? So what's the weight that is on our shoulders? What are the things that are, that are heavy upon our shoulders? Number two, who helps us carry that weight? And then number three, where does that leave us for our daily living? Those are kind of the three parts that I want to look at today as we boil down and look at what the essence of Easter is. Now our text, um, verses one through three, is um, where we're going to begin, but this is a fascinating gospel text. Uh, we have four gospel writers, eyewitnesses of Jesus' death and resurrection. Today we're reading from the book of Mark. And if we're talking about boiling down the essence of who Jesus is and what Easter is, Mark's the perfect gospel writer for us to pick because he's pretty, he's pretty brief in his, in his writing. 
In fact, out of all four gospel writers, Mark is, is usually the, the shortest, the most to the point of here's what's important for you to know. And if you remember our text today, it was a shorter story of Jesus' death and resurrection. But Mark is able to get us right to the essence of that. So let me begin with verses 1 through 3. Mark says this, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very, very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? So now understand the setting of what's going on here with these women that are coming to find Jesus' body. Jesus had died on the cross and they had hastily taken him off that cross and, and put him in an unused tomb. But they had not gotten to do all of the things that they had hoped to do for Jesus. And, and you think of some of the... the the ceremonial things that we would want to do, right? If you've lost a loved one, you know that there are certain steps that you want to go through. And in fact, on some level, I think there are certain steps that we as humans have to go through in our grieving process. These women were going through that. It was heavy on their shoulders. They had seen their Savior die, crucified on a cross outside of the city walls of Jerusalem. His body had hastily been brought down and, and put in a tomb. So this is very early at sunrise on that Easter Sunday morning. They are on their way to do for Jesus what they wished they could have done three days prior. So you think of all the, the weight that maybe was on those women's shoulder. The death of their Lord and Savior. Their friend, right? Their teacher, the general uh, persecution of those who had been following Jesus as their followers within Jerusalem, possibly the danger of even going to that tomb, right? Were their lives at risk, continuing to show that they were disciples of Jesus? And so there was lots and lots of things, I think, that were heavy upon the shoulders of these women as they went to that, that tomb. And what were they expecting to find? Well, like we mentioned to the kids, they're expecting to find death. And we don't need to sugarcoat this. When they went to that tomb, they fully expected to have to unwrap a dead body. To slowly take the, the uh, burial garments off of Jesus' cold, lifeless body that had been laid in that tomb. They brought spices, they bought, brought perfumes, but at the end of the day, None of those changed the fact of what they fully expected to find in that tomb, which was death. And why did they expect to find death in a tomb? Because that's how it always works. Sometimes here, a rather sobering statistic, one out of one dies. And so they expected to find death. And so they went there with heavy hearts on that Easter Sunday morning. But should they have expected that? According to the ways of the world, absolutely, right? Absolutely. But according to Jesus, maybe not. In fact, three different times in the book of Mark, in Mark chapter 8, chapter 10, and chapter 11, Jesus explicitly says to his disciples, these women included, I will die, okay, but I will rise again three days later. 
So three times he had explicitly said, this is what must happen. I will die, but I will come back to life. And so these women had, could have had an expectation that Jesus, Jesus was alive. You notice who's not there at that tomb? Jesus' own disciples. You wonder went through, what went through their inner dialogue or their discussions with one another on that Easter Sunday morning? We don't know. Uh, scripture doesn't give it to us. But were they talking and said, well, we'll just let the women go out there because all they're going to find is what? A dead body. We'll let these women go out there and anoint Jesus' dead body and do the things that we're supposed to do in death to show our respects. But we're going to let them get up early on that Easter Sunday morning and go do that. And you know who didn't even take the chance to see if Jesus had risen from the dead? Jesus' own disciples. I don't know if it was too early. I don't know if they had had a long night. Or maybe it was simply fear. But they didn't even go out to the tomb. I think in some ways we can understand their decision. Because what they expected to find was what we expect to find is death. It's brokenness. Right? They should have had a little greater sense of what was to come. But in that moment, they didn't. And at times, I think grief and suffering and struggle can do that to us. I think it can lower our sights. It can dampen our spirits. It can weigh heavy on our hearts where it's very difficult for us to ever see any level of hope or a new day coming. And I don't know if you felt that like that this past year. My guess is there were moments where you felt incredibly lighthearted, but other moments where you felt incredibly burdened. <laughs> but maybe this last year was a little bit clarifying for you as well. Because what was necessary is going into work physically necessary? Some of you are like, no, <laughs> right? I actually kind of like not having to go into work and go, uh, and go through the commute, right? But maybe for others of you, you're like, no, I, actually, I have to be there. Like, I've got to physically put myself in that space, right? How about going out to eat in social situations? Necessary or not so necessary? How about relationships, family, friends, birthday parties with loved ones? Necessary or no thanks? Right. How about masks? Right. Necessary, not so much, overblown, underblown. Right. How about pajamas? Okay. Necessary <laughs> or not so much? Right. But there's much deeper, I think, more serious things that you probably had to clarify in your life over this past year, right? Health for yourself, right? Living life um, at times maybe with a little bit of fear rather than hope. Maybe you contracted COVID. You had to ask yourself, what will this bring? Maybe you had a loved one that died over this past year. And you weren't able to sit at their side. Grandparents, great-grandparents who did not have someone holding their hand as they passed from this life into the next. 
See, this past year, I think, can clarify some things for us that are important. And I don't know where you are going to land on all of those things. And I think each of us can have our own opinions on, and maybe time will, will give us a little greater clarity. But Easter clarifies exactly why Christ came to our world. If you want to know what's essential, you look to the cross. Because when God asked what is essential for this world, you want to know what his answer was? It was you. When God said what is essential, he said it is you. In fact, that's why he sent Jesus to die on that cross. And so we talk about uh, um, clarity that comes from suffering, that comes from loss. When God looked at the brokenness of our world, the sin that is contained there, God said, what is essential is you. That's why Christ came. That's why his arms were outstretched and he gave his life on the cross so your sins would be washed clean. And so if Easter does anything, I pray that it reminds you of what is essential, reassures you of what is essential, and it was you and your salvation, and that your sins are forgiven because of Jesus Christ. In fact, that's exactly what these women find in our next little section here. Verses 4 through uh, 6 says, But when they looked up, when the women looked up, they saw the stone which was very large had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. No matter how much we carry on our shoulders, the essence of Easter is that Jesus takes that weight and that burden. No matter how how difficult this past year may have been, what Easter reminds us of and reassures you of is that you have a Savior who loved you enough to lay down his life on the cross for you. That sins are forgiven. That the struggles of this life will at some point come to an end because of Jesus' death and his triumphant resurrection three days later. See, these women came to that tomb and expected to find death, cold, lifeless body. Instead, they found an empty tomb and a resurrected Lord and Savior. And so... On this Easter, that's the essence of it. That you have a Savior who loved you enough to die and his victory and his resurrection mean you will live as well. Now, what does that mean for our living? Well, that changes things, doesn't it? See, if, if death has been swallowed up in victory because of Christ... If, if Christ has taken care of that thing which is, which is heaviest upon our shoulder in this life, then everything else falls into line. Why do we worry about money? Right? And maybe some of you are, right? Maybe that's a stressor. Why do we worry about money? Why do we worry about the size of the bank account that we have? Why do we worry about our reputations or our careers or advancing as quickly as we can? Why do we we worry and and have stress and anxiety over our children and 
the decisions they'll make and how they'll grow up? Why do we put incredible amounts of pressure on our spouse or on the relationships in our everyday living? Why do we, why do we take all of those things, which actually are blessings from our God above, and why do we stress and worry about those things? Well, if we're just living for this life, then those become ultimate things, don't they? If this is it, if this is it, then I've got to make as much money as I can. My kids have to make all the right decisions and be successful because if they are, then I kind of am, right? I have to try to climb the corporate ladder as quickly as possible at the expense of relationships and anyone else around me. See, if, if we live for this life alone, then all of the things in our life right here and now take on ultimate importance. And guess what? We will be tempted to sacrifice relationships and the people around us in order to hold on to them. But if, this, if Easter is essential, and if this life isn't all there is, then we're able to live our lives in a little different way. We're able to take all the blessings that our God pours out on us, the, the, the gifts of finances that you have, the relationships in your lives, the kids that he's given to you, your careers, the gifts that he's put on your, in your hands and, and in your life. You're able to use all of those things not in service to yourself, but in service to your loved ones, to your neighbor, the people in your community. See, knowing Jesus has taken care of death means that we get to live. You get to live with hope. You get to live with the reassurance that you absolutely are forgiven and that you have eternity waiting for you. Knowing you have eternal life changes our earthly life. I'd love to see the statistics on Abraham Wald. Uh, I'd love to see the statistics on how many lives he saved in, in, his, uh, in his recommendations. Um, and I'm actually, if anyone would have the statistics on it, it would probably be those guys, right? But wars have been won and lost by small percentages. Abraham's suggestions, recommendations, surely saved lives and brought home pilots to their families. But far greater than Abraham Wald's suggestions and statistics, you have a Savior who laid down his life for you, for the sins of the whole world. That's the essence of Easter. You have a Savior who loved you, loved you enough to die, who rose from, the, from death and reassures you that your sins are forgiven. The essence of Easter, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Thank you.